Chelsea and welcome to the Anima Animus podcast where you'll be joining me in driving discussions to bring the conversation of sustainability to the forefront of the fashion industry. Welcome back if you're tuning in again this week. It's always so awesome to have you guys around again and if you are new here then a very big warm welcome. Just to quickly reintroduce myself, I'm Chelsea, founder of sustainably driven streetwear brand Anima Animus and your podcast host today on the AA podcast which is a safe space for where we can all sit down each week and connect with other like-minded designers, brands and all sorts of other creatives within the sustainable fashion world to drive these chilled and open conversations about sustainability and ethics. So as always, these conversations shouldn't stop here. So I do urge you to continue the convo within your own circles and please do share this episode if you found it inspiring, insightful or empowering in any way. Now to introduce our amazing guest this week. She is a familiar face, especially through her Instagram presence. She comes from such a wealth of knowledge and experiences, and you may know her from the online platform that she founded called ReArchive. ReArchive is a really cool online community space for those interested to learn more about the sustainability world. And what I really love about ReArchive is the unique approach to such information. So for example, you know how we have these really, really good Instagram pages, which are full of information and infographics, but they tend to be really, really dry. You can see in all the content that she produces on there, it is just really breaking down the stigmas within the sustainable fashion world and it is so great so definitely check it out it's so powerful because when advocates are trying to tap into communities who are interested in fashion and interested in those visual aesthetics you know it's hard because you're coming in from a slightly different angle and saying hey did you know that behind the scenes of fashion this is going on so Rearchive is a great space to share and learn about these things so definitely check it out. This lovely talented lady is Nadine Banks who is a digital designer based in London and she's also a huge fashion and climate justice activist. Through Rearchive, Nadine will share her experiences in running her own business, what's that like, the hardships, the rewards, This week's focus is about the importance of collaboration, building a community, and why she thinks it is essential to drive that sustainability momentum forwards. So defo, make sure to hit that follow button on whichever streaming app that you're listening on right now. So yeah, I hope you enjoy and let's jump on the call with Nadine. Hey Nadine, thank you so much for joining me and the AA family this week. Thank you, I'm so happy to be here. Yay! So just before we get started, we always have a traditional game and it's called the AA Assumptions. So that's when I ask you three statements and you reply if you think it's true or false and why. So are you ready for the game? Yes, definitely. Cool. So the first assumption is ethical fashion is expensive. Um, I would say that's a tricky one, but I would say myth. Um, I think it is kind of like quite a personal question. I think um, the term expensive can mean different things to different people. Um, But I would also kind of say price is probably the most common misconception about ethical fashion. 
Um, mm. So I think it's kind of the perspective of affordability kind of varies from one person to the other. So um, a pair of sneakers for one person might mean they only want it for six months. So they will, you know, pay 20 pounds for it. Someone might want clothing that lasts a lot longer. So are willing to pay the price. Um, but I think mm. considering how a sustainable brand provides fair working conditions to employees, um, I think it's also worth the investment. And a Instagram, an Instagrammer I really love and follow her quite closely, Ajababa, um, posts on her stories a lot of like fast fashion pieces versus sustainable pieces. Um, so just mm -hmm. for instance, like H&M versus Birdsong, like a t-shirt. And the price point really is not that different if you really like compare the two and kind of compare where it's coming from and how it's made and how long it's meant to last for. So I think, I think it's a myth. I think the bigger the industry comes and like the true sustainable and ethical industry, the more affordable it will hopefully become. Um, but I also do think that word affordable is also, yeah, a very yeah. personable topic. So it's quite a tricky one, but at the end of the day, myth. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I guess kind of also annoying if we have to put it into a monetary value but yeah hopeful as you say because hopefully that kind of drives more like demand in the future so that it, it comes a norm <laughs> yeah exactly cool so then the second assumption is the more expensive the garment the less likely workers have been exploited um, or have been exploited <laughs> um the less, so the more expensive the garment, the less likely they've been exploited. Uh, I would say myth, I think a lot of kind of mid-priced and premium kind of labels are actually produced in the same factories or the same type of factories as kind of discounted and fast fashion brands. Um, so this means that everything from workers' rights to the conditions of the factory which they work in um, can be exploitative regardless of the price point. Um, so the price of the garment does not guarantee workers are paid fairly uh, because the cost of labor only makes up a small fraction of total production costs. Um, so I would say all in all, it's so important to do your research um, mm. because each brand is different. And if a brand is expensive, it really does not mean that the production line was done in an ethical or sustainable way. Yeah, right. Because yeah. even like location wise, you know, exactly. when people say, you know, sweatshops are only, you know, located. I mean, yeah, they're predominantly located in third world countries because uh, law and like regulations are so low. Yeah. But I've heard some horror stories here in London as well. So. Oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> And even, um, I think it was, yeah, Boohoo. Was it Boohoo in Leicester? The oh, um, conditions yeah. and the the pay, um, mm. the wages there were terrible. I'm not sure. I can't remember what happened there. If they got like yeah, improved or like kind of taken down. But yeah, it, yeah. it yeah. is crazy. It can just happen on your front door as well. <laughs> yeah, modern day slavery everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> So then the third and final assumption 
is collaborative change is more impactful than individual change. Um, that is true. That is definitely true. Um, I think nothing can really be done with, you know, the the job of one person, um, no matter who that person is, if that person already has a big influence, if that person already runs a business, um, collaboration in terms of people you know, people you follow, people who work for you, if you're like a person who owns a brand or a company, um, even people in kind of, yeah, in the government, I feel like collaboration happens and change happens when we're all working together and we're all bouncing ideas off of each other. And yeah, there's so much work to be done. So I think change can only happen when we're doing it together. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, that was quite a, a tricky one as well. I feel like it was like the chicken and the egg sort of thing because to have that first initial wanting to change like within first and that individual and then how that like impacts your surrounding community and yeah yes yeah. we wouldn't know which one's more important than the other but yeah yeah Both yeah so important so yeah just before we dive into it deeper let's get to know you a little bit better so our listeners would love to know a little bit more about yourself um and why you started re-archive yeah um so i'm Nadine banks i am from new zealand originally i moved to london four years ago um I think my kind of love for sustainability, not just sustainable fashion, um, kind of comes from my childhood and kind of stems from the way I was kind of brought up. Um, I was brought up in kind of the middle of a rainforest in New Zealand. So I had nature around me all the time and my parents weren't completely well off. So we always went charity shopping for clothes. Um, food waste was like a huge thing in my house yeah it just was quite an important part of my life like growing up and also New Zealand didn't really have kind of your typical fast fashion stores until maybe four or five years ago so Zara H&M um, only came about just before I left New Zealand so I didn't have like a close kind of connection to those brands we did have our own kind of fast fashion brands but it didn't feel like fast fashion it still felt quite slow and still this was a special thing to go buy not I want to go buy it for the sake of it and then I moved to London and I had my own kind of style blog personal style blog um, and then sat down and watched the true cost documentary uh, three years ago maybe probably four years ago now um, and that just opened my eyes up to the world, the behind the scenes, the, the system of fashion um, and just how things are done in terms of factory and workers um, and just the impact yeah, on people and the planet. And I was like, I can't work and support yeah. this industry the way I'm doing it now, just promoting it for kind of the aesthetic side, for the trend side. So. I was like, no, I want to kind of change. So I kind of changed my own views and did a lot of research and started off just educating myself and people who follow me on my own account, but thought this needs to be more collaborative. This needs to be shared more widely, not just kind of from 
my point of view, but where others can kind of use their voice um, on my platform. So mm. that's why I started Rearchive because I think like we said before, like collaboration is just so important and I didn't want to kind of be the face of, I guess, these topics. Um, I want to kind of be the, the owner and kind of work in the background, but kind of highlight issues, highlight people doing things in the industry, um, like for the good. Yeah, so that's why I started Rearchive. Amazing. I'm so curious, how come you moved to the other side of the world? <laughs> um, it, was, it wasn't too spontaneous, but the decision was made like six months prior to moving. Oh, uh, okay. But I just went traveling with my friends and then we were kind of like, oh, don't really want to move home yet. There's like so much world to see on this side of the world because New Zealand's very isolated. So mm. we decided to move to London and I've just fallen in love with the city and the people. Oh, so yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yay, amazing. I think, yeah, London is so diverse. So I feel like you can learn a lot of cultures. Oh, about definitely. A lot of people. And, yeah. Yeah. No, that's so cool. Okay. Wow, brave though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Everyone always says that, but I feel like, I mean, I did it with friends, so that really helped. But I think um, you just got to kind of do these things in life, you know? Mm, I would love to see the pictures of your hometown and oh yeah and definitely I'm sure it's yeah. so opposite <laughs> to what you see now it is yeah well we, I grew up like in Auckland but our like our house and kind of where I lived was on the outskirts like in the mountain mm. ranges it sounds yeah it was amazing it sounds, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds weird yeah, I think that True Cost documentary is so pivotal to so many people. I mean, oh, I is. think, yeah, I think maybe 90% of my guests have said that was like a turning point. And yeah. it really is. That was, yeah, it's just things that you learn and you can't really unlearn from there. No, this is amazing as well, how you started Rearchive as a platform to also bring that community element to it and have different voices. Because I think like for sustainable fashion there's so many ways you can tackle it and have like the same end goal but so oh many definitely could... i think yeah, yeah there's a whole like it's an umbrella type of situation where sustainability and it, like ethics is kind of set at the top but there are so many not just issues below it but so much room for positive change but in so many different mm. areas like i can not right now on the top of my head but there are probably like hundreds of areas um, and then sub areas of those like you know topics so yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly so like through building your community right now around re-archive um why do you think it's so important for people to collaborate i kind of see collaboration as this strange messy ball <laughs> so okay. i think like working by yourself is kind of like going along a linear line and you're kind of moving, you're moving forward, but you're never moving in different directions. It's just you. There's not a lot of inspiration or ideas, knowledge, experience from other people. So you're just more working on this one line. So you're not really getting anywhere apart from forwards by yourself. But I think once you've got all those people um, with different like mindsets, different experiences, um, coming from like different areas around the world your line starts to become a bit more like 
crazy and kind of forms this zigzaggy this zigzaggy <laughs> ball shape. I just picture it as this crazy ball shape of ideas and I feel like then the ball expands and that that's when kind of change can happen and more and more people kind of come in and I think the issues we face and the problems we want to change and kind of you know make the industry better can only be done with if everyone's kind of involved because when it comes to clothing we all wear clothing so I think mm. that's also why collaboration is so important yeah and now thinking about how that massive jump between going from your New Zealand community to a whole new different world over here in London not I'm assuming not knowing many people here no yet not first. not at all like <laughs> I don't yeah I don't know anyone here when I moved here apart from the people I kind of moved with <laughs> yeah so from that massive difference of a leap how did she then first like go about building that network and finding people with the same um, interests as you and that same momentum to keep you know sustainability going forward yeah I think social media really really helped with that um whether that be kind of just following people um messaging people to be like hey I like your Instagram um we should meet up or kind Slide of into yeah, yeah. <laughs> um a lot of panel talks or like events I kind of pushed myself to go to like these alone um Ooh. which really helped like it was quite I'm quite an like awkward person um <laughs> so I was like no I've just got to do it like go make friends go make connections in the industry um but then you make friends and I've made so many yeah, not like just work connections, but friends. Um, and then you just meet people through those people and it becomes a big community. But I also think like when I first started off kind of delving into the sustainable fashion industry in London, it wasn't as big as it is now. It's really blown up in the past one and a half years, I would say. Kind of like was getting to know kind of every kind of main person, if that mm. makes sense. That what, yeah. what, what I thought was kind of like, the main people um but yeah yeah no I'm such an introvert as well so going to networking things by myself (laughs) I'm like ah yeah but no I totally get it it's definitely worth it and it pushes you on like a personal level yeah (laughs) exactly I mean sometimes I go to these events and I'm like oh no why did I come here alone like (laughs) I'm in a very like shy mood and I'm not really like comfortable talking to people but most of the time the people are super approachable and friendly yeah you mentioned a a bit about people within the sustainable fashion space and like the main things and stuff but do you have people that you actually look up to they might not have to be big but you know just yeah some figures that are doing really cool work I think a lot of them probably are women um unintentionally Mm. but I love Alice Edie uh, who is the founder of Earthrise Studio with her boyfriend Jack Harry's and then his brother Finn Harry's? Um, but oh, Al- yeah. you might, yeah, you might be, yeah, yeah, um, yeah I love her. But Alice just has this like incredible presence about her, and although she kind of, she doesn't kind of, she tackles these big issues surrounding the climate crisis. She always just has this really like, positive energy towards her. So you kind of, you enjoy listening to her. You enjoy reading her articles and she's just like kind of a ray of sunshine and I feel when you've got that platform and that following it's so important to just I don't know be very personable and keep people kind of 
interested in you and I think that comes with just being really friendly and positive all the time and she's such a hard worker and she does yeah like she's such a great storyteller in her filmmaking so I just yeah, uh, yeah. A little fangirl moment. And there's also a New Zealand designer called Maggie Marilyn, uh, who I've been following since she started a few years ago. Um, and she's kind of just blown up. Um, but her brand is built on sustainability um, and ethics. And I've met her a few times. And she's also just a ray of sunshine. Um, but her, you can just tell her heart's in it and more like, yeah, they sell clothes and make clothes, but I feel the baseline of their brand is just so ingrained in that sustainable kind of value. And it's just, it's so nice to see. And because she's from New Zealand, I might be a bit biased, but it's just so <laughs> lovely to see such a, like a small kind of town girl bloom worldwide. Yeah. 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 No, they sound so cool. Have you met Alex? Alice. 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 Yeah. Alice. Um, Alice. <laughs> no, I wish I had. I wish I had. <laughs> Not yeah. yet. Not yet. I'll manifest that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you will. No, it's so interesting to hear that from, you know, like a figure that you might not have seen. So just like all the interactions online, but mm. how they communicate their message and how they are on like a social presence sort of level. It's so, it's quite interesting. Yeah. Yeah, and what has been some challenging things in terms of collaborating that you may have faced so far? I mean, were there? I would say, good question. I would say more in terms of wanting to collaborate with people who are almost out of reach, because I just love, I would love to work with the bigger people, but um, my account and Reactive is still quite small. So I think that's, quite difficult but I think that's something that will just come with time I think the past year has been quite difficult because I love meeting people in person um Mm. and I think collaborating together one-on-one is just there's just something so human about it and we just love as as human nature to be together in the room just virtually it's such a new thing to us like as human beings I think it's a bit harder to like over email and over video so I think the past year has probably been the most challenging year for collaborating but Mm. in saying that it's kind of proved that we can do it regardless of being face to face yeah 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 (laughs) Yeah. I don't know I find like collaborating not too difficult but I would say there are challenges with it (laughs) yeah Yeah. no we are social animals at the end of the day yeah so yeah that totally makes sense um yeah, I, and yeah, I guess because you are still trying to build up re-archive and I'm really excited to see what's in store for you um, and what you have for us as well. <laughs> so yeah, I would love to talk a bit more about that and yeah, what has been rewarding for you so far? Ooh, um, so many things. I just feel like overall, every little like moment and every kind of outcome from Rearchive is so super rewarding, whether that be like working with someone, being able to work with a brand, just kind of see it come to life as well is quite rewarding. Mm. And like yeah. the, the feedback is super rewarding. I think I had like an interview at the very start, I think two years ago with, uh, I'm not sure if I'm gonna pronounce it right, Eco, Eco Alf, Eco Alf, the brand. Okay. Um, that was a really cool interview I did. Um, 
yeah I think also as a designer kind of being able to design everything is, is hard work but also so rewarding because it's kind of like mm. oh, this, this is my baby um I'm <laughs> the founder the designer the spokesperson the but everything yeah <laughs> person so I think overall it is just the whole thing's rewarding <laughs> yeah there's so many things that I still have no clue what I'm doing but when I do get there I'm like yes I got it now yeah yeah it's those little moments that make the journey more uh, exciting exactly yeah so for our listeners who might not have actually come across re-archive what kind of forms of content takes place in the um, world of re-archive yeah so at the moment it's nothing's happening because I'm currently reworking website um which is probably 90 percent done so close Ooh. to getting it done yeah i would say like previously to kind of re redesigning reactive it was full of interviews so in conversation pieces with brands individuals environmentalists kind of coming from a very positive standpoint so i love to tackle issues but always kind of show and share solutions it's one thing talking about the issue and raising awareness surrounding issues in the industry, but if we're not going to talk about solutions, there's no point talking about problems. Um, mm. So yeah, there's a lot of like interview pieces which are always do really well and favourites. There's a lot of self-written articles, uh, probably a bit more delving into like the true issues. So whether that be human rights, garment worker rights. Um, I did a lot of pieces on Black Lives Matter movement and how that kind of related to oppression. So a lot of kind of colonialism pieces. And then I also started over lockdown to do like a Sunday session. So every Sunday I would get a guest writer on board and they would kind of have a topic. So one girl we did mindfulness with and she kind of wrote how to kind of practice mindfulness and did another one with a chef who kind of talked about the importance of nutrition just because I think mental health is super important when it comes to working and even having interest in the climate crisis and sustainability because it does take a toll on your mental health so I kind of wanted to add that element in where people could just relax on Sunday and have a nice article to read that wasn't relevant to what's going on in the industry, um, but more personable. Yeah. Um, the design will become like more bold and graphic and exciting. But as time goes on, I'm hoping the content will become more niche. And then eventually, because I'm a digital designer full time, I would love to kind of take that knowledge and that experience for re-archive and start working with brands and individuals to create like websites branding and bits and pieces and kind of making an agency yeah 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 that's so cool because i always love when information is communicated more creatively i think that's like where the engaging part comes in because so what you're doing is super great and yeah i'm super excited to see all that come out I feel like you must have spent so long as well also researching all the things and like writing the stuff. Oh yeah, it takes a long time, yeah. Yeah, I do enjoy it a lot. Um, So much information out there and people kind of want things every day. 
So I think the challenge is like posting every day on my own, but then having to like research for that day or for that post. Um, mm. It is a lot of work. <laughs> it's so much work. I yeah. can't even imagine. Like, especially having to create content every day it was mad. I'm so sorry for dogs barking. Bye. Do you have other people who help? Because I know you said just said like the Sunday writer, but do you have others that help you also create the content? Um, yeah, so I hired like a few writers uh, just before the pandemic hit last year, um, but they no longer write for me just because of personal reasons. They're on full-time jobs. I think a few of them were working um, as part of like the pandemic, uh, what would you call it? Uh, kind of like frontline kind of workers. Um, uh, yeah. And they were based like, they were based kind of all around Europe. One was based in uh, the UK, one based I think Barcelona, the other in, I think it was Copenhagen. And yeah, it just became too much work for them. So I just kind of let them go, um, but they were amazing. There was so much help and their articles did super well. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, once things kind of, get, get a bit more like momentum with it yeah so when you come down to like creating content how do you just you know find an idea that you kind of go off of and just focus on that yeah um well at the moment I have a huge list of like content Um, I have a content calendar which is amazing um which I've never really like done before I've kind of just winged it how do you start with that content list like that initial content list so yeah the initial content list um i think it just kind of comes organically so if i'm on instagram if i'm kind of reading the news if i come across even the slightest thing like something to do with vegan leather i'll be like oh that's interesting let me research further into that and then you just find Mm. so many points and a lot of the time because a lot of the topics are so big you then go and do research and you can find so many subtopics and I find it best not just for myself to kind of create more content but for kind of my readers to have articles which are quite niche rather than like an umbrella type topic if you have the niche subtopics and you only talk about them in one article for me it's more interesting to write about and I think also a bit more informative to kind of write about one certain topic yeah that makes a lot of sense because now I'm also thinking about like what I could also give in terms of information to like the community as well and I always feel like sometimes topics get a bit repetitive a lot and then we become this like echo chamber talking about the same thing yeah over and over I do again. feel that I feel like a lot of statistics and facts um yeah I do see them repl- in like kind of quotes or like you know I feel yeah. like the biggest one, which is quite, is a myth, going back to the myths, is the fashion industry is the second biggest polluter. And I still see <laughs> yeah. that. And I'm like, that's not true. But I still see it around. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> yeah, I literally had that one in my head as well. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's just so bizarre. Um, yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense, actually. I guess just starting and then finding things that interconnect quite naturally. Yeah. So like one topic I've got for the new platform, I'm going to do like a fast fashion watch. So every week Mm. or every month I will pick one brand. So the first one will be Shein, 
the um, one that's <laughs> come out recently and it's huge. Um, so I've written a whole article, which is actually ready to be posted on that brand. Ooh. But I just think it's kind of a bit more interesting to have these topics. So fast fashion watch, and then each week you've got a new brand. If your followers are like, oh, cool, it's Friday. This is going to come out. I think it kind of keeps them a bit more. Yeah. yeah. Oh, so in that fast fashion watch, you do you like review different brands? Yeah. And... I was just, yeah, it's just something I kind of made up because I thought, you know, we, we always hear about H&M, we always hear about Zara, um, we always hear about Primark, but not so often. We are talking about like the smaller ones, the smaller ones that are recently coming out, but there are ones that you just don't hear too much about. Um, you do, but not like the intricacies of it. And mm. when I went to do research on, I think it's called She and Sheen, I'm not too sure, um, spelled S-H-E-I-N. Um, there's yeah. just no information out there on it. You don't know, like, there's no information on who the CEOs are, who runs it, who owns it, um, where the clothing's made. Like, I would think, I would say it's like the one fast fashion brand where it's just hidden completely. And it's crazy. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't do actually much reading myself, but every time I see that and the the word haul oh, next to it yes. as well, I'm like, yeah. oh my yeah. god. <laughs> This gives it gets even worse yeah. from Zara. Like you think it just stops there, but it doesn't. Yeah. And then surprisingly, like brands like Primark are actually trying a lot. Yeah. That's the thing. I think I think the well, there are still issues surrounding these brands. Like, but I do think these brands are making the effort, and there's so much targeting towards them from people and from like the influencers and the community that we're kind of ignoring the other ones, which will come out quicker and further because they're not being recognized and they're gonna start taking over while like these brands other brands redefine themselves and actually try then we're gonna have this whole Mm. like wave of new fast fashion brands and yeah so i think it's good to kind of target those smaller ones not smaller ones but the newer ones really quickly because i think the voice around h&m stuff is so heavy which is great i think it's great because there's still a lot of issues surrounding them but there needs to be voices around the other ones as well. <laughs> yeah, no, I totally get that. And it's kind of crazy because going back to what we said earlier about price and affordability, we're talking about just like high street brands right now, but with luxury brands, when they have, you know, so much more budgets to make this investment, to drive change, and also like the biggest ones we know are actually the least yeah. <laughs> sustainable ones. Oh yeah, ones. definitely. And you, it's so strange. You see, I feel like you notice a lot of greenwashing and not even just greenwashing, um, but in these kind of midweight brands, but the luxury ones, mm. you don't see a lot of that. And they kind of it's just, weird. yeah, it is weird. <laughs> it is really weird because the consumer, I suppose like, with Stella McCartney doing so well in that market, like there should be appetite. And I think it's, it's, if you're paying for that price, which then also covers all of the environmental and social costs, it could have just gone easily in that price tag and they should have might as well have those practices ingrained. Exactly, you know yeah, mean? definitely. But it's just not. Yeah. That whole, yeah, and it kind of feeds into that whole um, conversation about, well, fashion a privilege, mm. is it, yeah. you know, elitist? And it just, 
it's just weird how fashion has just set up to be like this. The whole structure oh, is yeah. so I it's so opposite. Yeah, it's ironic. And I just like I love fashion. I love how it's empowering. And nowadays, everyone's so different, and we've got like this amazing social like change happening. So everyone can kind of wear what they want. But then you've got the like this contrasting thing where it's like there's so much fashion out there because the trends and all that is just mm. so I feel it's this weird parallel uh, shift and it's just <laughs> like I can't explain it but yeah yeah, yeah no it's such a weird and wonderful <laughs> exactly <laughs> amazing um yeah so what is next for re-archive i know we've got the website coming we've got the cool uh fast fashion watch series yeah what else can our listeners look out for um you can look out for a few incredible collaborations um mostly conversational pieces to start off with there will be a lot more social media content so before it was kind of what was on social media was just mirroring what was on our website but now we're gonna have the main articles sitting on the website but then social media will have you know like a fact of the week we'll have um more kind of interactive stuff um i'm looking at creating some like instagram filters um i just really kind of want to push the digital sphere and the side um, which I have so much knowledge of and I've never really utilized it. Um, I have an amazing 3D design friend who's helped me design some cool 3D animations for the launch. Mm. Um, so yeah, I think it's going to really push the boundaries in terms of design. And then I hope the content will follow through with that. Yeah. Are yeah. you doing all the content yourself as well? I am to start with, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> No, that's so cool. I'm really excited to see how you also incorporate your graphic design expertise <laughs> to this this area. It's always like super refreshing to see different things because I don't know, personally I get a bit like bored as well with all the green and the beige and like yeah. minimalistic. Yeah. Like it's all pretty, but <laughs> yeah. yeah, it like stops from there and there's like so much more to those, um, I guess, quote unquote like stereotypical aesthetics yeah sustainability. I think yeah I think because my my personal style is quite minimal and very black and white and yeah I don't want to use so much chic but a bit more like that refined I would say um but I want re-archive to just be a little bit more grungy and bold and powerful yeah, and I get that from your <laughs> your page yeah. yeah um and I think I just wanted to play on the word like archive and kind of create this newspapery kind of look and feel collage and yeah <laughs> loving it this is like a whole like art project <laughs> i know i love it yeah that's what i'm just like Ooh. it's what's keeping yeah. me kind of like going obviously as well as the uh the purpose for it but yeah yeah no this is amazing well thank you so much nadine um but before we jump off where can our listeners find you uh you can find me on instagram at nadine banks and you can follow Rearchive on Instagram at re underscore archive, I believe it is. Um, and you can also, once Rearchive is live, check out rearchive.com and subscribe to our newsletter. 
amazing i'll be sure to have all the links in our website pod notes um that accompanies this episode but yeah thank you so much again nadine it's been a pleasure to sit down with you this week and yeah we're really excited to see all the things that are yet to come with re-archive thank you so much for having me i really enjoyed it so we may have stopped talking but that doesn't mean you have to join us and the rest of the aa fam on our website at animaanimus.co.uk to connect and continue the conversation within our forum spaces please do drop me what your thoughts were on this episode you can even submit any voice notes ideas or stories that you'd like me to share on the show you can also find all the links we've mentioned in this episode in the show notes available on our website and i would be so so grateful if you could help me make this show become more discoverable for others by leaving a five-star review on your favorite episode and a social media handle i can contact you with because i would love to connect and thank you all personally i really hope you enjoyed this episode as much as i did thank you so much again for coming through and for listening i really appreciate you joining this journey with me in driving discussions and creating positive industry change once again i want to send you all a mad mad love and until next week this was the anima animas podcast with chelsea now signing out